a playlist original. There is a very specific game that made me fall in love with video games. It was by no means the first game I played, but it was the first one I obsessed about. The first one that had me creating stories in my head about the characters I loved, fleshing them out into living, breathing people that were so much more than the pixels on screen. The game was Mortal Kombat 3. I probably shouldn't have been playing it. I was way too young for the violence and the gore, but I loved that game. My favorite character to play was Sindal. The game came out in 1995, so the graphics weren't detailed, but it didn't matter. Sindel had this thick skunk-colored hair, white with a black streak down the middle. Her eyes were lightning white. She wore this purple and black, I suppose, swimming costume, if you like, sleeveless jacket and thigh-high-heeled boots. And yes, her breasts were pretty prominent, but Child Sam didn't notice that so much. I loved her. She was the wife of the bad guy. A possible red flag for my future relationships, but that's a whole other podcast. And she kicked ass. She could scream and her opponents would be damaged. And she could also use her hair to toss them around. I thought she was just so damn cool. There were only three female characters in that iteration of the fighting game. Sindal, then the iconic Sonya Blade from Mortal Kombat, and then Shiva, the female Shokan. I dabbled with Jax and Sub-Zero, two other characters, but I almost always went back to Sindal. She was my main. Chubby, socially awkward preteen Sam just felt some sort of connection to her. Maybe it was because I had dark hair and so did she, and maybe I just liked her outfit and her moves. Who knows? When I think back to that time, I also remember my best friend Haley. Haley was, and still is, one of the most beautiful girls I've ever met, inside and out. She was vivacious, with honey blonde hair always pulled back in a ponytail, and she was an athlete. Every sport she chose to compete in, she excelled at. Haley always played Sonya. That was her go-to. We had these epic Sonya Sindel battles. Years later, when, when I think back to that game, I realized that two young girls chose characters they felt most represented them. A collection of pixels that somehow, ever so slightly, mirrored how they imagined themselves to be. There's a whole other conversation about the sexualization of female characters in games, but that isn't the focus for me. The focus is that the game that made me fall in love with video games was one that allowed me to see myself, not as the overweight, shy, awkward girl, but as a strong, kick-ass woman. The point of this whole story? For years, I didn't think about this, but as more conversations around representation in games start to be had, the, the younger version of me, who maybe thought, yeah, nobody cares, I just want to smash some buttons, has begun to realize that they do matter, because ultimately, at an early age, they matter to me. This is part one of a two-part episode discussing representation in video games. In the next episode, I, I'm able to worm my way into a developer to discuss the process from the inside, so to speak. But for this episode, I wanted someone with a passion for the art form that is video games who could provide context and help set the foundation for the representation discussion. Thank goodness I found him. My name is Robin Gray. Um, I'm the founder of Gaming Magazine. That's Gaming with a Y. We're the world's only LGBTQ video game magazine. We launched in June of 2019. And uh, fast forward two and a bit years, um, and we're now being uh, read and reaching um, over a million and a half people uh, each month globally. So for us, that's kind of like a huge achievement. And I think it's a it really kind of feeds into this whole thing about about underrepresented groups not having a space to kind of uh, enjoy their games and i think we were able to offer that to the lgbtq community the 
purpose, I think, of gaming has changed over the past couple of years. We've certainly branched out from just being sort of core video games to now being more uh, what we're kind of lovingly calling the home of queer geek culture. Um, so we're very much minded around not just video games, but also esports, comics, uh, anime, wider entertainment as well. And I think we always put the the queer stories sort of front and center and, and dig more into things that come up in the headlines where people report positive change, but we're the ones that go a little bit deeper. How was that change uh, impacted? How was that change decided upon? Was it Has it come from a sort of a healthy place or is it a bit um, mischievous in some ways? So I think that's been something we've really kind of embraced and I think something that our readers really, uh, really enjoy reading. This episode is about representation in video games, but the moment I started digging into Robin's background and the publication he brought to life, I wonder if he'd needed a sort of bravery to, to get it off the ground. And the reason I say this is because I know that for me, I didn't start bravely. In fact, I didn't want to talk about games at all in a public space. I hired someone to write gaming content on my own blog. I contributed to a gaming magazine where my byline would ultimately be in the front of the publication and no one would know it was me because I was scared to talk publicly about gaming. Eventually, I took the step and then a sort of running leap at esports, which was terrifying. And some of the experiences in my early career almost breaking because I was a woman and at that point in a small region, there were few to no other women in the competitive gaming space. Even now I deal with this weird historic bias. When the first episode of season two of this podcast came out, an acquaintance sent me a voice note and mentioned that they will think you do not have the credentials to talk to someone like that. I stand to be corrected here, but other than Trevor Henry, better known as Quickshot, who currently works on League of Legends, and possibly, I would say, maybe a handful of other overseas-based talent, I am one of the only South African esports broadcast talents to work international LAN events. Not one event, not two events, but multiple LAN events on various titles around the world. And I've done this for close on five years. Yet, even now, in my home country, this weird bias exists against me and those credentials are completely ignored. Okay, so why am I sharing my woe is me tale with you? Because it showcases how a small minority, and, and in my opinion, they're the minority, of people in gaming and esports are not welcoming to underrepresented groups or individuals that may be different to the norm that they've created in their own minds. I, I covered this topic in detail in season one in an episode about the LGBTQ community in gaming, and I wondered if Robin had faced similar hurdles. There's perhaps a fear sometimes of something coming from out of, in inverted commas, the ordinary. And I think that for us, it was something that we kind of drove forward really passionately. Look, I, I am fully aware of the privilege that I have as a white gay male. And so for me, it was very keen early on to make sure that we're getting diverse voices out there uh, in the publication. Again, fast forward a couple of years, our, edit, our new editor now, who started in post uh, three or four months ago, is, is, a, is someone who identifies female. So we actually, we sort of push that envelope forward to make sure that the head of that organization, the head of that outlet is, is a woman. And I think that's something that I was very passionate to sort of make sure we were establishing from the get-go because it's a way of pushing back at some of this. It, it sometimes reads, if you're not careful, as a bit tokenizing, whereas it's actually coming from an authentic person, authentic voices, a good, diverse freelancer base. Um, I think that's really stood us in good stead. 
yes, we have bumped into our the, the usual amount of criticism, the usual amount of of uh, sort of toxicity. But I think what we've managed to curate is a community of very wholesome uh, readers, fans, writers, even um, that have all come together to celebrate their love of video games. Right. Let's get into the meat and potatoes of this episode representation in video games. I am well aware that there is a good chance that you may have rolled your eyes as I said that. I've seen it before, I've heard it. I don't care about the gender or the skin color or the sexuality of a character. Why is this even a big deal? Let me take you back to my Sindal story that I started the episode with. Try keep that in the back of your mind as we work through why many gamers are vocal about wanting more representation in the entertainment medium they love. It's a really simple one that the video games being the most interactive entertainment and art form um, is deserving of being representative of modern society. Um, I think video games having grown up as being the the plaything of the typical sort of 14 year old boy um, is now kind of representing a much wider, diverse uh, player base. And I think people are now fed up of having to kind of dream up their own backgrounds or, or try and impose their background on the characters that they're working with or the characters that they're presented with or the, or the lack of choice for example that they're presented with that i think people are stepping up and i think it also comes from the workforce themselves um being more diverse a diverse workforce or a diverse company will always make a diverse game that's just how it will be so with the workforce diversifying i think the the impetus in-game to diversify is there as well. And I think people are realizing the power of it, the economic power of it as well. I think it's, it's always been that kind of hesitancy from larger studios of like, oh, do we have to put some diversity in the game because it might not sell? Well, we've had over the past couple of years amazing examples of AAA games that are smashing records that are being led by women, people of color, uh, LGBTQ people or combinations thereof. Um, so that argument now no longer stands either. The video game industry has ballooned in recent years. We've got more games, more platforms to play them on, just more. When I was younger, other than maybe Bouncy Boob, Lara Croft and the Sonya Blade staple in Mortal Kombat, you didn't see many strong women in games. I'm talking specifically about women because that's what I can identify with. But, but as time has gone on, we've seen representation and diversity increase in games. And not just indie titles. AAA games have also had greater representation in their character developments and their storylines. It's a curious thing. D do we see an increase in diversity because game developers are conscious now that it is needed? Or do they feel more comfortable creating stories that aren't pigeon-boxed to a specific style? I think it's, it's something that I'm sure people are now much more mindful of. I would hope from an ethical point of view, just feeling that they should be more diverse, they should be more representative. But I think, again, it's down to the bottom line. I think they're seeing that that these games aren't failing in the way that they were predicted to fail. They weren't failing in the way that they thought they might have failed. And I think for me, it's kind of like looking at it in a way that they're seeing it as a real positive that, that people want to buy those games. There's loads of examples of companies that, in the past maybe had been problematic or, or concerned maybe about kind of diversifying too much that are now leading the charge. And that is only down to the positive reaction that, that games are getting. And also let's not forget the games industry is about five years behind the rest of the entertainment world. So what movies and TV and everything else has gone through to make sure that their characters and stuff 
are more representative of modern society. I think the video game industry is now just coming into that space. Whenever I see South African characters in games, they tend to be white male Afrikaans mercenaries. That's how we've been represented. And please don't get me wrong, I'm well aware that there have been other South African characters, but I'm painting with a broad brush here to, to highlight my point. My favorite first-person shooter game, which is Rainbow Six Siege, introduced a South African operator. Malusi was a woman of color, and her backstory saw her running an anti-poaching unit, which tied in really well with an actual real-life all-woman anti-poaching unit that exists in Africa. I loved her from the moment she was released. Yes, as a character, she had unique playing abilities that suited my gameplay style and contributed to my team, but I also felt an attachment to her as a character. Even now, after a few nerfs, I still will play as Malusi, meta or not, because for me, there's a link there. And it's not that I see myself in her, it's just that I see my country represented in her and she feels almost real to me. I think a lot of AAA titles have got this right in recent years, realizing that your gender, sexuality, or skin color is just a part of you and not necessarily the defining factor. Storytelling in games has evolved and developed layers so desperately needed. Well, certainly from an economic point of view, The Last of Us 2, that I believe is still PlayStation's best-selling exclusive, um, is, is a great example of that. Um, fantastic way of writing, great way of, of kind of not, not mollycoddling, um, it's a funny British phrase, I apologize to any uh, international listeners, but not wrapping diverse categories in bubble wrap um or diverse characters in bubble wrap i should say because i think for them it's it's making sure that an authentic diverse character has to go through trials and tribulations in the same way that that non-diverse characters have to go through and i think that's that's the equality that people see and i think that's the authenticity that kind of drives through the last of us two being being an apocalyptic storyline shouldn't preclude diverse characters suffering but so long as they are not suffering in an unequal amount to their uh, straight counterparts, for example, I think that's fine. And I think they did a really good job of that. They put all of these characters through the ringer and yet came out with a really strong game um, that upset a lot of people because they were annoyed over the fact that they had to play as a strong female character, whereas they kind of wanted the male hero to save the day. But you know what? I think that's a good thing. Another great, a great example from the last uh, 18 months has been Tell Me Why, um, the wonderful uh, game from Xbox Studios and, and Don't Nod, and that was the first major game to have a trans protagonist. Fant again, a fantastic story done beautifully. We were lucky enough to work with developers with Xbox uh, as a communication partner, as a PR partner, to make sure that the understanding um, from the trans community was that this, this was done well, it was researched well, uh, they had trans people on staff, which is always a great way of actually doing something authentically. They had a trans actor voicing the trans role. Um, and um, the actor himself had a strong hand in kind of defining the interactions of the character. So all of those pieces came together to make a game where actually the character, he's a, he's a bit of an ass. He's, he's, not, he's not particularly likable at times. He's a bit bratty. But I think that's what's brilliant about it is that it was telling an authentic story and making somebody an authentic character by giving them some rough edges. I think you can tell diverse stories without having to kind of worry about risking upsetting certain people. Because I think if it, if it reads more authentically, I think people would appreciate that more than, oh, there's a trans character, but we can't possibly hurt them. 
because they're a trans character. Um, that's nonsense. You can write a perfectly good character, make them a bit of a dick if you need to, because that makes them more human. Of course, on the other side of the fence, you have a lot of commentary around box ticking. This idea that developers and games writers are forced to add diversity to their characters and stories. But if you examine the depth of writing we're seeing in these games, it can't possibly be the case, can it? The, the politicization of the word woke um, over the past six to 12 months has become almost intolerable. But I think for me, it's like companies aren't sitting there in board meetings going, right, we're making a new game. We need to have a black character, a gay character, a trans character, and working their way down the list. It's just, I think it's honestly just ethically sitting there going, we have these 10 characters, who are they? And I don't think the answer of 10 white men is the answer anymore. And I think most companies get that. And I think it's more around, I, I don't think companies are necessarily scared they have to do stuff. I, I am someone that naively wants to try and see the good in everything. So I would hope that the majority of developers are sitting there wanting to tell a story that represents modern society. We've seen great examples even of, of where casting even in the entertainment world is, is colorblind. There's obviously the, the fantastic Bridgerton that took place on Netflix last year that just cast amazing actors regardless of their backgrounds. That's another way of doing all this sort of stuff. Like you, you can just make a game and just have some fantastic characters and have fun with it. You don't necessarily have to be box ticking in, in, the, in the way that you phrased it to start off with, with that first question. I just think it's, it's people wanting to do a good job, wanting to tell an authentic story. In Paul Chalona's book, This is Esports and How to Spell It, he recounts a Doom event that happened not far from the Microsoft head offices in Seattle, Washington, on the 30th of October, 1995. I'm going to read an excerpt for you. This is no ordinary publicity campaign. For starters, the entrance to one of the tents at the event is a giant vagina with spiked dildo teeth, with a model of O.J. Simpson's decapitated head hanging from the rafters. Bill Gates, meanwhile, makes a cameo appearance on screen in the middle of the Doom level to talk up the wonders of Windows 95 as a games platform, wearing a cardigan and also clutching a shotgun. This depiction of a gaming event in the 90s is stuck with me since I read it in the book, purely because while the booth babes weren't there, actually, they probably were, they just aren't mentioned, I think it quickly defines how games have been marketed and to whom for a long time. That has changed in the last few years. Games has become a mainstream form of entertainment and with that, the market has grown. Yet there is still this contingent of gamers that are just so incredibly angry. Angry with diversity characters, angry with representative characters in a game like Siege, just angry all the time. And much like for years, many of them would say, I don't care about the skin color or the gender of the character in a game. It surprises me that now... They still say that, but also seem to care so much that they feel compelled to spew vile words and even death threats to developers or fans of a particular game or character. Oh, it's just a thrashing of the... It's, it's the kind of wild thrashing around of people that just like things the way they are and they can't possibly sort of face any kind of uh, accountability. For the last, well, how, however long video games have been around for, 30, 40 years, I think the the sort of straight white men have had their day. They've had their kind of like moment in the sun. They've, it's, it's all been for them, not just in video games, in TV, entertainment, the world in general. And I think that it's, it's now things are changing. I think people feel like they're being frozen out. They're not. You, there are God knows how many millions of video games made in the world and that have been made in the world. 
please by all means go and play some of them this is just the new generation this is change this is this is society as as a whole with a capital s and if you don't want to get on board with that there are other options there are there's all the classic stuff you can go and play you can go and play grand theft auto you can go and play all those sort of things and have whatever thing you define as fun but for me it is the future and i think it's it's not just the future actually it's now uh, it's happening now it has been happening for a long time before game even before gaming magazine started lgbt people were having to kind of play games where they were always having to play a straight character or they're always having to play a character that has to romance a woman and they have to kind of press their own queer readings onto those characters the the sort of the occasional glance at, at an npc that they're, they're having to kind of read all this fan story into it because they're not being served what they want to enjoy and now they are and i think i think people kicking off over that is just it's childish it's selfish and i think it's just people kicking back at at what they see as as sort of like weird um whereas in reality it's just it's just society i think by now it is pretty clear as to why representation in games has been so underwhelming and even non-existent there's a lot we can break down here and i have my own thoughts that spread from how gaming has been marketed the, the audience chosen how stem notoriously was inaccessible to underrepresented groups how inaccessible gaming was for a long time i mean i could go on but to to be fair i thought robin might have a more succinct answer for you visit every major uh, video games company's website and look at the board um it, it's it comes from the top down like di diversity in, in games particularly as always sort of like it still has a kind of the the senior management of a lot of companies is still the kind of is the straight white males that's not necessarily a bad thing by the way like i'm, I'm not on a crusade i'm not on a crusade against straight white men but it is something that i think it's it echoes down the company and i think change is difficult to make if your leadership is not driving that change there are fantastic companies out there. I will, I, I will doff my cap to a lot of big companies that are making positive change. There are companies that I know who have set up uh, a wide range of employee resource groups, ERGs, and they have, a, they have assigned basically a board leader to each of those groups to make sure the views of those groups are coming up into the boards. That's amazing. But I'm not going to sit here and talk about individual companies, but we all know there are big companies in the news at the moment that that aren't doing well, that aren't making change, that have had hideous past and aren't taking many steps to try and rectify that. So for me, I think there's, we're, we're dealing with the echoes of the past in some ways. And I think we're dealing with perhaps the damage of the past a little bit as well. And like I say, the video game industry is about five years behind the wider sort of entertainment film TV industry, but it's catching up. And I think it's diversifying quicker than we think as well. Video games are art. We forget that sometimes, but at their core, they are. And there isn't really a way to define art. You can argue that it is the, the creative imagination and expression of emotions or ideas. I mean, you could argue a lot of things, but they're still art. I think by now it's pretty clear that we need games to represent society and society is far more diverse than games have offered up in the past. But throughout this conversation around representation in video games, it is important to note that no one is petitioning to turn all games into a completely safe space for everyone. We're simply asking for greater variety and representation. I, I, think, it's, I think it's dangerous to think, of, to think of any kind of art form or any entertainment group as in its kind of entirety as, as a safe space. I think in the same way that 
there are TV channels that I choose not to watch because of their their views and, and political leanings. Um, there will probably still be games companies that I'll, I won't engage with because of their views and political leanings. And that's great. And I think that's 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 the diversity in a way of, of viewpoints and stuff that that makes the human race and makes society what it is. Like we can't we can't kind of sit here and dictate that every single thing has to be super diverse. Every single company has to be kind of like fully kind of uh, awake to these issues because I think that's that's probably pulling it in the opposite direction. And I can see that 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 doesn't work either. I just think a good diverse industry that offers everything and offers things to people um, where they want those things and yeah provides um, other games to other people who still want some of the sort of more classic let's say uh, representations as well um, I yeah I'd be hesitant to sort of say like the entire industry should be fully kind of uh, fully liberal and fully kind of awake to everything I hope by now you have a better understanding of the importance of representation in gaming. And my, my goal with this episode was to potentially change the way one person thinks, or at least open their minds up to a new perspective. I often try to write and produce these episodes with the young gamer in mind, the gamer who maybe is in a small town and disconnected from big land events or large cities, possibly someone in a small town who uses gaming as a way to escape and connect. And so... For that gamer, I asked Robin to summarize why it is important for us to see representation in the video games we love to play. I think what you just said there is actually the key to it. I think there are people living in small towns, in smaller communities, in countries almost even, where where certain backgrounds and certain certain ways of life aren't, aren't uh, supported or tolerated or even legal. And I think that for me is the key thing. Entertainment has the power to change minds and to change lives and if you see yourself represented on the screen in a game or whatever else then that is that is at least a leg up in terms of where in terms of where uh you feel your place is in society i was brought up in a tiny little village and there was one black family out of two two thousand people or so i therefore for my first 18 years of my life i didn't really have any kind of engagement with with people of color and i think that that is something that i think i missed out on and i think the reverse of that then that family who's very much outsiders in the percentages terms were unsupported and i think now we're, we're in a space where entertainment is more accessible entertainment is more enjoyable it is still enjoyable but it's more accessible and, and it's more interactive, it's, that is a real power for, for change, particularly coming back, obviously, to the games being the most interactive art form. The, the old phrase about um, walk, don't judge someone until you've walked a mile in someone else's shoes, in games, you can walk a mile in someone else's shoes. So actually, as well as being supportive of different people and, and having those people see themselves in games, games can be an educational tool as well. You can play, as I said, going back to tell me why, you play as a trans male protagonist. I think of myself as a very kind of diverse and, and, and awake kind of person to the needs of many. Uh, yeah, even I was playing that game and it made me, that some of the reactions to the character made me feel uncomfortable. So I learned some stuff as well by literally and metaphorically walking a mile in someone else's shoes. So I think there's, there's two reasons there. One is obviously it's good to have diversity to, to show people that they exist in the world. 
and they see themselves, but also as an educational tool to, to learn more about other communities, other lifestyles, etc. This was part one of a two-part season finale of Tech Girl Talks. I've been able to explore this podcast project with the support of my personal partners at Logitech G. Our partnership allows me the opportunity to create new content in the gaming and esports space. They also happen to sell some kick-ass gaming peripherals, so be sure to visit logitechg.com. While I have your attention, if you haven't subscribed or followed the podcast, I implore you to do so so you don't miss the final episode of the season, which I promise is a goodie. Finally, if you enjoyed this episode, please do leave a review and any feedback is also welcome. You can reach out to me on Twitter or Instagram at TechGirlZA.